0: If you take your Bible this morning and turn with me to the Psalms, knowing that we are walking through the Old Testament, this morning the Lord has put it in my heart to go to Psalm 118, a very special psalm for me and my family. What a joy it is to be here today uh, on Father's Day. I have intentionally given the title to the message the Lord has put on my heart the message is entitled My Father's Day message and when I say my Father's Day I'm not referring to the message of this Father I'm referring to the message my Heavenly Father has placed upon my heart that Father is a good, good God Not all of us as fathers are good even most of the time. Psalm 118 is a reminder to me that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day is my Father's Day. I I shall never forget my first visit to Boston. Boston. It was in 1966, I was a sophomore in college, I was a college debater, and um, my debate partner and I were given the privilege to accept an invitation to come to Harvard for the Harvard Invitational Debate Tournament in 1966. Uh, I think that's 44 years ago. Now, you've got to understand that I grew up in a little textile town called Pelzer, South Carolina. We were not really sure that Boston was really on the map from there, but I was going to be coming to this area. They joke and say that I was so nervous when my partner and I entered into our first debate, you had to alternate pro and con Our topic that year was resolved that law enforcement agencies in the United States of America should be given greater freedom in the investigation and prosecution of crime. They say that I walked out in that first debate and I was so nervous with the crowd that was there that I said with great enthusiasm, and I don't believe I said it, resolved that law enforcement agencies in the United States of America should be given greater freedom in the investigation and prostitution of crime. (laughs) I know I did not say that. But my college friends will not let me live that down. I know I didn't. What a joy to be here and to be introduced by my son as the speaker for um, this time. Scarlett and I are well blessed as parents. We we have always had our family in the word. And as a result of that, God has answered so many prayers. God has taught us so many things. He blessed us with a daughter first. And she is a coach and a teacher. Her husband is a veterinarian. They're deeply involved in their ministry at First North Spartanburg. Then the Lord gave us a son... He will be preaching here, I think in July. His name is Jeremy Chastain. I was going to write a book on raising children when Allison was born, but when Jeremy came along, I tore the manuscript up. (laughs) But the Lord has blessed us with Allison and Jeremy. And then an interesting thing happened. Like you, I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms because... My life is so much like the psalmist. I find something when I'm up. I find somewhere, something when I'm in the middle of the road. And I find something just like David when I'm at the bottom of the heap. I remember as a little boy that God, in the midst of a big storm that was going on at the time where I lived and my dad was at work and my mother and I were alone, This was a terrible storm. I remember her putting her arms around me and saying, you know, God has given us a word for today. I never forgot that word she gave me. It was Psalm 56 verse 3. What time I am afraid I will trust in God. Some years later, many years later, I was preaching through Psalm 127. And in the course of that Psalm, I came to the part of the verse that talks about how children are an heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As we continued through that series of messages, my wife and I were having some conversations about the text. But then one Sunday morning, she told our pastor, that she and her husband had put a limitation on their family that God did not want to have, and that God had put it on her heart that day that she and her husband were supposed to have another child. I was the pastor she was telling that too. <laughs> so I said, "Do you remember the story of Sarah and Abraham?" I won't go any further than that. But as a result of that walk through Scripture in Psalm 127. The Lord gave us in 1981 our next child. Except there was one difference. That next child was twins. The first to be born was named Jonathan David Chastain, one of your pastors. The second to be born, her name was Amy. Just as Allison is a teacher and a coach, Jeremy is a pastor. Jonathan is a pastor. Our daughter lived in Asia for a number of years. We lived there with her for three months in ministry. She now works in the heart unit of a hospital where she continues to minister to people like she did in the slums of the country where she was serving In a major crisis time in my life, God took me again to the Psalms. My wife's favorite verse in the Psalm is Psalm 118, verse 24. She received a birthday card recently. The front of that card said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will what? What? I will rejoice and be glad in it. That Psalm, which is her favorite verse, is also one of those verses that God gave to me as a footnote in a crisis time in my life. And the more I began to dig into that Psalm, I discovered that there's a whole lot more underneath than we usually give credit to on the surface. Or you see, Psalm 118 is one of a grouping of psalms that are called a six-song Egyptian Hallel. That means there are six songs and psalms that are hooked together. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. Now the interesting thing about these psalms, we're not real sure who the human author is. Although Psalm 114 would give strong suggestion Till the author could have been Moses. But it also could have been a picture of the deliverance of Israel in the Exodus. And how they came out under the Passover lamb. When you um, look at the impact that these six psalms had, they're so significant that all of the major Jewish festivities and festival occasions, these psalms and songs are sung. They're sung, of course, because of Psalm 114 and the, and the talk about the deliverance and the Passover in Egypt. They're sung at the Passover. They're sung at Pentecost. They're sung at the tabernacles. And they're also sung at dedication. But one of the things that caught my attention one day when I was studying and looking through these Psalms, I discovered that Matthew chapter 26 verse 30 would take on a very unique and special meaning for me. it it has for you as well. Because in Matthew chapter 26, it tells of a Passover event where Jesus and his disciples were in an upper room. They were celebrating the Passover. And then according to the Talmud, when they came to the conclusion of the fifth cup, that's when Psalm one hundred. And 18 most likely would have been sung. And I got to thinking. You know, this psalm that I love so dearly, This is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. This psalm goes a whole lot deeper than walking around in the generation I grew up in with a guitar singing, This is the day, this is the day. This is a day that the Lord hath made. And it's okay to do that, but it's a lot deeper than that. For most likely at that point in the Passover, Jesus with his disciples sang Psalm 118. My, what could have been going through his mind? Well, where does it begin to unfold itself as to the deepest of meaning? If you'll turn in your Bible, if you haven't already, you will notice that in Psalm 118, there is an interesting thing that is said, beginning in verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So when I began to see that part of the scripture connected to that beautiful psalm I go back and I began to look at the whole psalm, Psalm 118 and what do I discover? I discover that Regardless of who the psalmist was, the human penman, in verses 1 through 4, he's talking about God's enduring love. He says, his steadfast love endures forever. So this psalmist had gone through a time of difficulty in his own life. He had also experienced a very miraculous deliverance. And in the midst of that, he says, "This his steadfast love endures forever. Martin Luther said, when he translated Psalm 118, and I quote, this is my psalm, my chosen psalm. It has saved me from many oppressing danger from which neither emperor nor kings nor sages nor saints could have saved me. It is my friend, dear to me, dearer to me than all the honors and powers of the earth. Why did this make such a difference to Martin Luther? I think it did, and it's my opinion, and it may not be important to you, but it's important to me. It's my opinion that Martin Luther had stumbled onto something in the midst of own crisis in his life. Could it be that we discover, and listen carefully to how I say this, because... I have been misquoted on this before. Could it be that he discovered, I know that I discover, that God doesn't love all of us. God doesn't love all of us. He loves each of us. If you heard me say I did, He loves each of us individually. And I believe that Martin Luther fell in love with this psalm because in Christ's point of his life, he discovered God's enduring love. But then the psalmist talks about God's embracing hand. Look in verses 5 through 18, and I can't develop the whole thing, but he says, the Lord answered me, verse 5, the Lord was on my side, verse 6, the Lord is my helper, verse 7, the Lord is my refuge, verse 8, The Lord helped me, verse 13. Watch this. He is my strength, my song. He's my salvation, verse 14. And verse 16, I love it. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly, verse 16. And so he sees not only God's enduring love, but God's embracing love. And then you know what happens? This is so beautiful. The psalmist is so overcome, so overcome by seeing the embracing hand of God and thinking about this endearing love of God that he breaks out in a celebration of praise and he begins to put the penman to it and the words to it and he said something remarkable in the midst of all of it. Verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become The cornerstone. Amazing. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. Did the psalmist know everything about what he was doing then? I suggest to you he did not. But the hand of God about whom we had already spoken of was upon him and he is now laying out a foundation, a groundwork for us for helping us understand What happened with Jesus after he and his disciples sang that song at the Passover? This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. What is it that was the outcome of that? The outcome of that is clear. What the psalmist said in verse 22, watch this, is quoted five times in the New Testament. What the psalmist said hundreds of years before now becomes quotation in the New Testament, Matthew 21 verse 42 in the parable of the tenants. Mark 12 verse 10, Luke 20 verse 17, the same. Acts chapter 4 verse 11, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then in First Peter 2 7, Oh, listen to this. As the metaphor in Peter's preaching and teaching comes out, it's a beautiful picture here. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then when I look into the scripture and I throw all of that together, I begin to see what that day was. This is the day. That day makes this day so important. What was that day? That day was the day when the rejected stone, Jesus became the cornerstone, the cornerstone, the foundation block of any building, the back, the part of that building that holds it all together, the part of that building that gives it strength and endurance. Jesus became that cornerstone when the rejected stone became the cornerstone, when the son of man became the savior of the world, when he became at that verse we read, he became our strength and our song and our salvation. Listen to me, my dear friends, When you hear all of that, put it together, that means that day is this day. This is a day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And Jesus walked out of that upper room and he goes into the garden. Last night, before Owen went to bed, he slipped into where I was at a table studying. And he kissed me on the cheek. He walked away. My heart was so touched by the tenderness of that moment. I'm up early this morning. I'm at the table again. The kids begin to awaken. He comes in to the room where I was. And he kisses me on the cheek. And my heart is caught again. I'm emotionally entrapped. And then I think of where we're going in this text and I see Jesus goes into the garden and one of his own by the name of Judas Iscariot comes up to him in the garden and he plants a kiss of rejection upon the cheek of Jesus. They arrest him and carry him away. Jesus is tried. Off in the distance is Peter who wrote about the cornerstone. Off in the distance is Peter. Peter. And he's standing around a fire. And he says, with an expletive, I never knew him. And then Jesus goes to the cross. Don't miss this because we hear it so much we lose it. He goes to the cross. And on that cross, in the fleeting moments of earthly life, he says, to tell us die. Tetelestai. When those words were spoken, it was like an echo along the hillside of Calvary. For that word, Tetelestai, has the meaning, it is finished. Now I know the demons of hell must have thought that he said, I am finished, but Jesus did not say, I am finished He said, it is finished. What is finished? The rejected stone is going to be placed into a grave. And on the third day, he's going to come alive. The resurrection that we sing about of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive and well. That stone that was rejected now becomes the cornerstone. And that cornerstone, that cornerstone, that day, gives meaning to every day of your life. Adrian Rogers once said, and it's a tremendous quote, he said Jesus not only as years adds years to your life, that's eternity. Jesus adds life to your years. That's right now. Two thousand eight. It's a Sunday. It's Father's Day. It is also my wife's birthday. It's June the 15th. Tiger Woods and Rocco are swinging it out in the U.S. Open. Scarlett and I had walked the cliffs of Torrey Pines in the spring of that year. All of my family had gathered around me because we were not in our home that day. I was not preaching that Father's Day. I was in the Duke University Medical Center Hospital. I was recovering from radical colon cancer surgery on the previous Thursday. Labor Day weekend, Scarlett and I had trained for months, walking up and down the steps of the Duke Stadium. We lived in Durham, North Carolina, where I pastored the Ridgecrest Church for nearly 24 years. We hiked into the Grand Canyon three nights on the Colorado River. In Lake Tahoe, we had skied heavenly. And in February, we had walked the cliffs of Torrey Pines before the U.S. Open, and now I'm in the hospital at Duke. I can't feed myself. I can't get out of the bed by myself. But on this particular Father's Day, her birthday, and I want to tell you that the most influential person in my life next to Jesus and my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, and my father-in-law, mother-in-law, and my own mother and dad, that's my wife. She's seated right here. She's the most influential person in my life. We've been married for 52 years. I told my family, get out of this room, go have lunch with your mother. It's her birthday. My nurse's name was Sarah. I know she had to be a drill instructor in the Marines, but she was still my nurse probably the best anywhere. And um, she encouraged my family to leave. She said, I'll not let him have any company to get back. I'll take care of him. And they got me up in this hospital recliner. They put the remote control beside me, all of that. They got in on the golf tournament. And there I am a, there I am a hostage. They were all gone. Sarah slipped back into my room. And she said, respectfully, pastor, you're not supposed to have company but there's a family out here demanding to see you. It's a man and a woman and their two sons. I said, "Well, go ahead and let them in." John, it was Ken and Rhonda and their two boys, Danny and Kenny. And they walked into my room and they said, "We well, know you're not supposed to have company, but we just had to come in to see you to make sure you're okay." And he said, all we want to do is just tell you we love you and we're praying for you. And the father led in prayer and they left. As they went out, the door was pushed to. They met Sarah outside, so she must have had her watch going to see how long they stayed. And I heard the father say to Sarah, not knowing that I could hear through the door, and please don't misunderstand this. The father said to Sarah, I know you're taking good care of him, but it's important you take good care of him because he is a special man. I, I want you to not misunderstand. I, I, I don't at all feel that. But I was so overcome by having overheard that. The tears were streaming down my face as I'm there all alone. And in the midst of that, God reminded me of something that we often have to be reminded of. This is There's a personal application to that psalm. This is a day that the Lord has made. Watch this. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This day I can rejoice and be glad. Watch carefully. This day I can rejoice and be glad because of that day. That day. And that day makes every day the day to rejoice and be glad. Today is Father's Day. Yesterday was June the 15th. It was my wife's birthday. But I want to tell you that today, today I am 11 years cancer free. And God, <laughs> God has awesomely answered my prayer that I could finish out my ministry not having to preach every Sunday and not having the responsibilities of a, of a large church but to pour my life into the ministry of my children who made great sacrifices living with me as a pastor. I finish with this. I want to give to you five statements that give to us and give to you an application personally right now of this passage of Scripture. Truth number one. Because of that day, this day, June the 16th, I receive as a gift from God. This is a day the Lord hath made. Do you think God's ever made anything that was junk? This is a marvelous gift today that God has given me. Lamentation chapter 3 verse 22, 23 says this. His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Dr. Robert Naylor was the president of the graduate school that I went to in Fort Worth, Texas. One day speaking in a chapel service, he said every morning before I get out of the bed... I lift my eyes toward heaven and say, thank you, God, for giving me this brand new day. And then he says, I get out of the bed and I go over to the window in my bedroom and I look out and I say, this could be the day. This could be the day. What day? That that same Jesus who went to the top of the Mount of Olives 40 days after his resurrection and ascended into heaven, the angel said, why do you stand here gazing up? Don't you know that this same Jesus is one day coming again? This is a day. It is a gift from God. It's a new day. Truth number two. Not only is it a gift from God, but because of that day, this day is a now day. And I say, it's not only a gift from God, but it is, watch this, it is a great day. It's a great day. Listen, folks, it's a great day to be alive. It's it's a great day. It doesn't say yesterday was the great day. Tomorrow's going to be the great day. It says this is the day. Is. It's an is day. It's a now day. But you know what I've discovered as a pastor? So many people never enjoy the greatness of the days that God gives you every day that you're alive. Because some people are anchored to the past. Uh, some past guilt, some past uh, sin, uh, even some past glory, um, some past grief. I mean, some people are anchored to the past and there's something in a closet or something in a memory that, that holds you back from just Seeing the greatness of this day, whatever it is, you need to take it and put it at the feet of the cross, at the foot of the cross, at the feet of Jesus and take his forgiveness if it's sin and take his restoration if it's something you need to be freed up from. But then some people, it's not a great day, not because they're, they're anchored to the past, <coughs> it's because they're anxious about the future. I, I don't know you but I could almost guess there's somebody here right now not having a great morning because you're worried about something that's out in the future Dr. David Jeremiah told a hilarious story about three or four weeks ago he said there was a guy that met with his friends at a, at a, a place like a, a McDonald's or something every Friday morning and they had breakfast together And these guys, they all had a great time until one guy showed up and he was so negative. He was so anti-everything. I mean, this guy, if he were to die, you would have to jack him up six feet in order to bury him. I mean, he was low. And he could walk in and kill the spirit of everything happening. They said, one day, this guy was running late and he showed up at the breakfast. He had a smile on his face. He was happy. And boy, they got worried about him. And one of the fellas said, Frank, I don't understand it. You seem so happy today. You seem freed up. Tell Frank what's going on. What What do you how, What do you contribute the change? To he said, Hey guys, do you remember when they used to have uh, phone books? He said, the new phone book came to my house. I was looking through the yellow pages and I found there was a professional worrier in there. They said a professional worrier. They said, yeah. Well, how does it work? He said, well, when you're worried about something, you pick up the phone and you call him and he worries about it for you. (laughs) They said, Frank, that can't be free. What does it cost? He said, well, don't tell my wife. I've just signed up. I'm going to do it at least for a month, but it's $500 a month. One guy said, Frank, how in the world are you going to pay for that? He said, I'm going to let him worry about that. Some are anchored to the past. Some are anxious about the future. Listen, you got to remember that God wants you to understand that he died on the cross and rose from the grave that you can be alive now. Alive now. Philippians 3.10 says that I might know him, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Because of that day, Every day can be a great day for a follower of Jesus Christ because of the power of his resurrection. Truth number three. I treasure every day of my life now as a golden day. This is a day the Lord hath made. You see, God made this day, June 16. And it's necessary for me to handle it with prayer and to handle it with care. I am to treasure every day of my life as a golden day. When I was a little boy growing up in church, and some of you may remember this little chorus. We used to sing a song. <clears throat> every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Anybody remember it? Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me and he's the one I'm living for every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before you know what Psalm 118 and put in big big numbers 24 they're 24 hours in a day Every one of those hours because of that day should be cherished as a golden treasure. So many people are wasting their life. John Piper says this. We we waste our lives when we do not pray and think and dream and plan and work (coughs) toward magnifying God in all spheres of life. God created us for this. Deliver live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that he really is. John Maxwell in his book Developing the Leader Within says that 50 people over 95 were asked this question. If you could live your life over again what would you do differently? It was an open-ended question which brought a variety of answers. Three answers constantly re-emerged. If I had it to do over again, number one, I would reflect more. I would risk more. Listen to this one. I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. Here's what I tell people. We talk a lot, a lot about leaving a legacy. <laughs> There's a little poem that I used to tell people when they'd ask me about, should I do flowers for this, that, and that? I'd say, look, dead noses, smell no roses. Do your giving while you're living and you're knowing where it's going. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah. Hey, leaving a legacy is important. But why spend your time leaving a legacy? If it's a golden day, why don't you live your legacy? Live your legacy now and you're seeing where it's going. Truth number four. Turn every day into a glad day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That simply means there is something noticeable about a Christian who is not wasting his life. His life is going to be filled with joy. His life is going to be filled with contentment. Why, why, why do you think they're able to live like that? It's because the Christian knows that a sovereign God is in control of their life. You see, our response to trials is so important. You see, people see God's care and not our courage. People see the value of God and not our valor. You see, when you think about turning every day into a glad day, you can take Philippians chapter 4 because Paul is a beautiful example of how that happens. He's in prison and he writes a joy letter. And in that joy letter to the people in Philippi, he says, Rejoice, in the Lord always, and then he stopped for a minute and thought about it. He said, "Man, I'm in prison. <laughs> kind of lonely over here." He said, "But again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto man." One translation says, and some people quit right there. Listen to me. If you quit there, you done not quit too soon. Here is what it says. Here's the key. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto man. And here it is for the Lord is at hand. I've stood in the intensive care unit so many a time, John. I've walked in the hospital on many a situation when there was no, I've received calls from the Duke chaplain staff. I've received them from the hospitals there. And there. We need you. They don't have a pastor. Can you come? And you walk into where those people are. And if they don't know Jesus Christ, it's like you've got your hands tied behind you to try to help them. But when you walk into a room where it looks like it's about all over and they're believers and they're sharing how they're praying. They want you to pray. It's in that situation that you see people make it because they know something. They know something. They know something. There's some gossip that got out. There's a rumor that got out that became reality. They've discovered that in the worst of times in your life, you can rejoice in the Lord because you know the Lord is at hand. Last truth. I treat each day as a going day. I treat each day as a numbered day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, it's not spelled out in that verse of Scripture. But it's understood in this verse of Scripture. Because the Scripture on another occasion said in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days aright that we might gain a heart of wisdom. The Bible says, and I'm getting ready to close the curtain here, so, so watch this. The Bible says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Guess where? Psalm 39, verses 4 through 5. Mike Crick. I've written it on a napkin from where I had breakfast with him and some men last week on the napkin from the restaurant. I meet with some men every Friday morning, not like the guy I told you about a while ago. We have about 22 men that meet for prayer, and we then have breakfast together. Mike is a pancreatic cancer survivor at this point. We had just been praying that he would live long enough to walk his daughter down the aisle on May the 25th, and he did. And in our last prayer breakfast, he was thanking the Lord for that and then somebody said, but how are you doing now? And this is what he said. Listen to this. He's fighting an unbelievable battle with what looks like sometimes a feudal battle. But this is what he said. He has my day. Referring to God. He has my day. I trust him with my day. He has my day. I trust him with my day. You know there's something true about these days. You can't save them. You can't borrow them. You can't loan them. You can't leave them. The truth is you use them or you lose them. This is the day, because of that day, this is the day the Lord hath made. The resurrected Lord who's coming again, this is the day the Lord hath made. By an act of my will, I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Growing up in Pelzer, South Carolina, I grew up when textile was big. The cotton mill was big. My dad was a mechanic in the cotton mill. He worked in the weave room. There's a poem that comes out of the cotton mill. I don't know the author. But it goes like this. And I want to leave you with this poem. And I ask you to listen to it very carefully. These days are passing days. Faster than a weaver's shuttle. When as a child, I laughed. And wept and time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and thought and time walked. When I became a full grown man, time ran. When older still I daily grew, time flew. Soon, I shall be traveling on, John. Soon, Lee and grandkids, I'll be traveling on. Jeremy and Liz and the grandkids and Allison and Kevin, the grandkids, the fishers. Soon, I'll be traveling on. Time gone. But don't you ever forget when this old man lays it down. He lays it down to be taken up because I have learned that what he did that day has taught me that this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Can I have a witness? Amen. Let's pray together. Would you join me? And um, there is an opportunity to know that little card you have to write down something. We'll be hanging around afterwards to talk to anyone who wants to talk. But let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these great Old Testament truths. This morning, a clear reminder that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed and as we walk away from this place may praise honor and glory come to you in the precious name of Jesus we pray Amen